Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Messed me up. <laughs> I almost started reading First Corinthians. We're not in First Corinthians. We're in First Thessalonians, chapter four, verses. This is what happens. I don't use other people's Bibles. <laughs> Only me and Corey find humor in this right now. It's all right. Finally, then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, whoever gives his whole, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to, inspire, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. And so excited to be here. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If you're unfamiliar uh, with who I am, I'm uh, one of the get to be one of the teaching pastors for you uh, today, and so I get to kind of be a, a bit of a, a break in our cohort. If you've been here the last few weeks, you think I don't know who the pastor is in this place. Uh, it's because we've done this preaching cohort. Uh, leadership development is a big part of what we do, and so we have men that have been leading, and they've been doing an incredible job. Next week, uh, we have uh, Don Clark, who, if he's here, we'll get to pray for him and his wife, and then yeah, absolutely, and then. Um, Shortly after that, we have Gabe, who's going to get to bring us all home in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And so excited to get into the text for you today. Let me pray, uh, kind of get my, my own mind right up here, and then, uh, and then we'll tackle this thing. Sound good? Uh, God in heaven, thank you for giving us a space to be able to come, um, to be able to pray, to be able to worship, to be able to sing, to just a space to be able to step outside from the world for just a little while, just a little bit. Uh, be formed and reformed in here as we um, are challenged and encouraged to go live on mission out there. And so, God, we, we need this time together. It is sweet. Uh, it is pleasant. It is good for our souls to sing together, to read scripture together, to hear prayers together, affirmation, assurance of our pardon as we just led through. God, thank you for your finished work on the cross in our place. Uh, God, as always, I pray for my own thoughts and feelings while I'm up here. Lord, I, I pray you settle me in just a bit. Uh, as this is the second time doing this, God, I pray it would be like the first. God, just help it fall completely new and fresh 
uh, on me as well as the other leaders uh, in the room. And I pray for those that are here, God, just the same for them. Uh, help us uh, to stop worrying so much about barbecue sauce and grills, uh, not worry so much about the lake and the games we forgot to buy and all of that. Lord, help us just to settle in just for a little bit. Help us lose track of time together as a family. I pray this in the sweet and precious name of Jesus, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So we're currently in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, a little bitty, a little epistle, a little letter given from Paul to this early church plant. The first three chapters, if you've been walking with us through um, Thessalonians, has been really that of incredible encouragement. Uh, Paul has written and only been encouraging to the Thessalonican church. And then today, whenever we come to the text, this is kind of the, the first part of the scripture where Paul exhorts, and really one of the only parts of scripture in Thessalonians that Paul actually exhorts his church. We'll get to why he does that in a moment. But what Paul says stands out to me is is this. God's will is your sanctification. I don't know about you, church, but that's like a pretty big deal. (laughs) Like there's not a lot of places in scripture where it says very matter-of-factly, like this is exactly what God wants you to do. And if you Uh, have ears, you've heard someone at some point say, man, I just want to know, like, what is God's will for my life, right? Or or I just want to know, like, what does God want me to do in this scenario or in that scenario? You have tons of people ask that question regularly, that age-old question. Well, it turns out that the scripture, specifically, even 1 Thessalonians, has an answer as to what God's will is for us, one of the aspects of God's will for our life is. And so the big idea for you is this. God's will is to wholly sanctify you. God's will is to wholly, with a W, wholly sanctify you. What I mean by that is that God's will is to wholly, with a W, make you holy. He's he's not going to, listen, God's not going to come and save like a part of you. He's not going to come and save just like a piece of your body. He's not going to come and just take away a, a piece of the hurt, but rather whenever God redeems, whenever God saves you, he saves all of you eternally, all of you, forever. You're not gonna just kind of slide your way into the kingdom as the gate is closing behind you, like slipping in through the gate, right? He's going to invite all of you in where you are just as you are, but he's also gonna change it to make you look more and more like Jesus. And so God's will is to wholly sanctify you. He wants to give his whole entire self to you. What's interesting about that is that we do not respond the same way. Uh, Whenever it comes to relationships, whenever it comes to God, we are in the business of holding back. Uh, We do not like to be vulnerable as a nation. That's not something that we're used to. We don't like to be transparent. All you have to do is look at someone's Facebook and see that I'm telling you the truth. Everyone is going to have the most incredible 4th of July they've ever had in the history of 4th of Julys this weekend. (laughs) Just look on Facebook. Look on TikTok. Look at, you know, look at Instagram. It's going to be the most incredible, right? The best that we've ever had, okay? If you have kids like me, we know today's going to suck at some point. It's going to be a hard day, right? And so what we, what we like to do, though, is we don't like to come like, and lay ourselves bare and give ourselves totally to someone else, relationally or intellectually, emotionally, and in light of intimacy. We don't like to do that. Rather, what we do is we say, hey, you can have so much of me. You can have enough of me to make me feel comfortable. But once I start to feel uncomfortable, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to put up that barrier. We're going to put up that facade. This is true for all of us in this room. The reality is this. In that holding back, what that reveals is a protection for the wrong kingdom. But what we're saying in that moment, in that moment of unbelief is what that is, a lack of faith is what that is, is we're saying, I care more about my kingdom than everyone else's 
kingdom. So I'm not gonna be transparent. I'm not gonna be vulnerable. Rather, I'm gonna protect what I know. I'm gonna protect what I feel comfortable with. And the reality is this, that is not what God has willed for you. And we know that because this, that's not what God modeled for you. He literally gave everything. Son surrenders his kingdom to come down, right? So he gives everything, full disclosure, full transparency. God's will is to wholly sanctify you. What does that look like, pastor? You seem to have all these answers, okay? Uh, let me show you a few different things, okay? A couple questions we're going to hear, a couple statements. It's going to be all over the place, okay? Uh, first thing we're going to hit is this. What is sanctification? Debbie, if you could throw that up for me. We're hit, what is sanctification? If you're a note taker, I told you bring those journals. Man, I got definitions. I have charts. I have all sorts of stuff for you today, okay? What is sanctification? Second thing we're going to hit is how does sanctification apply to marriage, sex, and culture briefly? I can only hit it briefly for the sake of time, but how does it briefly... Speak to those three areas of life. And then the last one's going to be a real gem. Sanctification real, reveals vengeance. God's going to win. Okay? He's going to win. Sound good? Yeah. Nice and easy. I'm going to need you guys to help me out. Okay? I want to get to the lake too. All right? Here we go. Verse 1 through 3. First Thessalonians. Ready? Say ready. ready. Thank you. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you're doing, he says, that you would do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So what is sanctification? If it's God's will for us, I feel like it's a pretty important deal. Like it's something that we should know, something we should be able to wrap our minds around. And so what is sanctification? Let me give you the theology of an eight-year-old. Uh, whenever we were sitting in our Tuesday, class, our Tuesday uh, meeting that we have where we kind of plan our worship or songs and liturgy and all that, we're sitting there and Emma Jo, my eight-year-old, is with me and Jeff and I are just talking about sanctification and, and she says, I know what sanctification means. And I go, oh dear, okay, let's, let's see what, what, what do you think it means, babe? What is, what is sanctification? And she looked me in my soul and said, becoming more and more like Jesus? And I thought, oh, dear, who told you that? I didn't tell you that. I would like to have said I was the one that told you that. Who? I said, who told you that, Heights Kids? She said, yep. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you for discipling our babies, church. Oh, my gosh. What's, what is sanctification? Put the de definition in. Becoming more and more like Jesus, eight-year-old theology. She nailed it. She crushed it. She nailed it. God's will is that we would come to faith, most certainly, that we would come to faith, but then also that we would continue becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Paul said in verse 1, walk in a way that pleases God, just like you've already been doing, he said. And then he said, and then you, you know the instructions, you know how to do this because we've told you how to do this in Jesus Christ. Just keep doing what you're doing. What's he saying? Just keep becoming more and more like Jesus. What's he saying? Walk out your sanctification. Continue to walk that sanctification out. Now, if we, if I may, if we can, if we, can we just sit in this for a bit? Can we just sit in? It's been a while since I've been up here, okay? I'd like to maybe take my time. Um, you guys know I'm kind of a nerd too, right? Like I love theology. I love... <laughs> Dang. You guys know I'm kind of... That was rhetorical, Brandon. It's important that we do a little teaching here because here's what can happen. If I stand up here and I say to you, God really wants you to work, wants you to work hard, work well, work to look like Jesus, you might leave thinking, my works is what is going to determine my salvation. 
right? So we can't just camp out in your works alone. I also simultaneously can't get up here and say, well, just say that you have great faith. And if you have great faith, but you have great faith apart from works, they are what? Dead. Okay, good. Some Bible-believing folks up in here. So then we, what I have to do, I have to bridge for us this gap between faith and works, as our brother James would tell us to do. So we're going to camp out for you, for you just a little bit here. Sanctification is most certainly becoming more and more like Jesus, but then there's two parts that exist within sanctification for the sake of time. The first thing I have for you then is what's called positional sanctification. Somebody say positional. Okay, positional sanctification should be up here. It means you are spiritually set apart as blameless. We read it earlier. We're going to read it again. This is about your identity. This is who you are in Christ spiritually. You are positionally sanctified. The next one is progressive sanctification. Somebody say progressive. Progressive Progressive sanctification is about your behaviors. It's about you actually walking out your God-given identity. Listen to me. Your identity precedes your behavior. You come to faith positionally, and then you're called to walk out sanctification progressively, to progress through the world that way. Not in the same sense of the word as our culture. We'll get to that later. But progressive sanctification. Let's camp out in positional right now for just a moment, Miss Debbie. Positional sanctification. Here's what happens. God, for whatever reason, looks at you, sees you dead to rights in your sin, and says, instead of me killing you and putting you on the cross, my son Jesus is going to come stand positionally in your place. He's going to stand in your position. Okay? And so instead of you getting what you deserve, me getting what I deserve, Jesus gets what we deserve. He's positionally put on the cross to atone for our sins. In doing so, we get to become his righteousness. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We've read it. We're going to read it again. For our sake, he made, listen, for our sake, church. This is absolutely necessary. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the what? righteousness of God, the same word there for sanctification. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 next. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, before the foundation of the world sounds a lot like before you ever did anything worth bragging about. It sounds a lot like, right, before you ever stepped out and just started reading the Bible and praying and doing all these good works. Before the foundation of the world sounds a lot like before the foundation of the world, doesn't it? That we should be what? Say it. Holy and blameless. Same words there for sanctification. God chose us in himself before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, just means predestination, us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, not our will. God's will is our sanctification, so much so he does everything necessary to spiritually sanctify us. Absolutely. Does everything before we even, for any, before we bring anything to the table, he does it all for us. What does that mean? That means that the righteous one becomes unrighteous so that we can be righteous. That the perfect one becomes imperfect so that we can be seen as spiritually perfect. That's the gospel. It means that you could not earn your position into the family of God, nor could I. So the son invites us into the family of God by exiting out of it for a moment. I mean, I could go on and on. This is the gospel, is it not? Right? He does everything necessary to bring us in. And if that's true, listen, if that's true, that we cannot earn our salvation, I cannot earn my righteousness, I can't earn my position in the kingdom, then I most certainly can't lose it. Because I didn't do anything to earn it to begin with. 
He invites us in. Now, that is positional sanctification. That is our identity. Listen, whether you feel like it or not, Christian, you are perfect in Christ, even when your behaviors are not. That's the scandal of the gospel. Because that is true, listen, because that is true, God's will is that you would respond. Progressive sanctification, Debbie. That you would progress through this, right? Spiritually, you are like Jesus. Physically, you have to respond. Does that make sense? Positionally, everything is done. Progressive, you have to respond. You get to walk out a life that is pleasing to him. And, and in that, what that means then, God then also wants us to continue looking the way that he already sees us. Is that too wordy for you? God wants us to continue walking out life the way that he already sees us in Christ Jesus. That is progressive sanctification. That's all about our behaviors. It's looking more and more and more like Jesus. Now, just to be clear, it's progression. It's not perfection. You tracking? It's progression, not perfection. Progression, not perfection. You cannot be perfect. You cannot, no matter how beautiful your Facebook is, no matter how beautiful the social media posts will be at the end of this day, your life, everyone at the end of the day will know it's not perfect. Progression. We're called to progress through that. Well, how do we do that? How do I do that, Pat? How do I progress through? Man, you use the resources that God's given you. How do I progress to look more and more like Jesus? You spend time in your word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time walking out missional community. You enter into what we call DNA, smaller group discipleship. You get involved in HC Institute. We've literally given you all the tools necessary to help you progress to look more and more like Jesus. You, you give sacrificially your time, your money, your talents, your everything. You literally just respond to what he's called you to do. That's literally all you do. And in doing so, you begin to look more and more and more like Jesus. I need something more practical, Corey. You're too high. Bring it down. Just read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just ask God to reveal, give me the, the mind of Jesus. What do, I, what do I see Jesus doing in here? What do I see about his mannerisms? How's he speaking to people? How does he listen to people? How does he engage the culture? How does he engage different people that are different than him? How does he engage politics? How does he engage the political elite? How does he engage? Listen, you can preach a lot of the Bible and not get into who Jesus is, but you can't read who Jesus is and not get into who Jesus is. So read the Gospels. It's pretty simple, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just pour yourselves over and then ask the Lord. Say, God, Father, please in heaven, please help me look like this Jesus because I don't think like him and I don't talk like him. And whenever I see things that are happening on the news, I don't have the mind of Christ. When I'm scrolling through and I see more mass murderings, more shootings, more death, more injustice, more, I don't have the heart of Christ. I'm just numb to it. Father, could you help me look like, my, look like the son? Help me respond the way that you already see me in Christ. Progressive sanctification. Listen, God, let me be clear. I put in here, slow down, okay? Slow down. I have something to tell you, okay? God does not save you through spiritual disciplines. Reading, prayer, missional community, on and on and on. God does not save you through spiritual disciplines. God saves you positionally and then gives you spiritual disciplines to help you understand one, the world just happened to you. Okay? So he doesn't save you through the spiritual discipline. God saves you and then gives you spiritual disciplines so you can understand, here's what happened. Here's what typically, I even have Debbie put this on the screen for you. I put it in here again. Make sure they get this. Okay? Here it is. You do not walk out a life like Jesus so that you will be saved 
You walk out a life like Jesus because you are. It's because you are saved, because you were positionally justified, sanctified in him progressively, then he pushes you out into the world to look more and more and more like him. And man, here's what happens when you do this. Look up here, here's what happens. Man, the gospel begins to penetrate you. I mean, you like really begin to see who Jesus is. See him in his holiness. See him for as beautiful as he actually is. See him for as grand as he is. As you read the scriptures in Isaiah, when the the train of his robe fills the temple, it becomes real. You're like, that's my God. That's who I get to worship. Uh, Put up this last one for me. Here's kind of what happens when you think about sanctification as you're positionally sanctified, yes, and then you get to push yourself. You get to kind of walk out these spiritual disciplines. This is what happens. As you begin to pursue and pour yourself into spiritual disciplines of God's word and prayer, missional community, all these things, what happens is you grow in an awareness of God's holiness. Like you begin to see him. You begin to really see him for who he is. Not who he is on a Sunday morning, but who he is seven days out of the week, 24 hours a day, seven, 365. You begin to see who God is. And at the same time, church, that facade begins to vanish because you realize I'm nothing like that. So as you grow in your awareness of his holiness, you simultaneously grow in your awareness of your depravity. And then the cross just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not, woe is me. It's, oh my gosh, I need you. I need you so bad. I need you as a parent. I need you as a spouse. I need you in my vocation. I need you as a pastor. I need you as a, I I just need you. I'm driving down the interstate getting cut off. Lord knows, Lord knows, I need you in that moment. But I need the cross to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And what's incredible about that is that's the way that God has designed it. You don't do all these spiritual disciplines and walk out progressive sanctification so you can pat yourself on the back. It's so you can have a beautiful picture of King Jesus. And then he continues to propel you out forward to walk out these disciplines. Just to be clear, clear in this moment, here's, what, here's how you know you're walking through sanctification. Okay, Here's how you know. Whenever you look in the mirror and you think, I don't look anything like the way the Father sees me. And yet, that truth alone, even though when you look in the mirror, you don't look anything like the way the Father is seeing you, you don't look anything, you don't feel anything like, you don't look anything like that, but in that moment when you look in the mirror and you say, that truth is sufficient to sustain me today, that's sanctification. Like, that's how you know you're starting to get the gospel. There is nothing about me perfect. The Father sees me as perfect. I'm gonna walk it out, and I'm gonna fail time and time and time again, and yet my position in the kingdom does not change. That's the way sanctification works. Isn't theology fun? See? Being a nerd is fun, Brandon. It's fun. Brandon and I are very, very close. Listen, it is Jesus's generosity that shapes you. It's not what you get from him. It's what he's already given you. When you get that, church, listen, when you get it, everything changes. Everything changes. So how do we apply this to Sanctification in marriage, sex, and culture as Paul uh, affords us the opportunity to do here. Let's do it. Let's keep rolling. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3 through 6. We're only going to go to 9. We read to 12. I'll take you to 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now we have a working definition of sanctification, yes? Uh, That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. This is the third point, but because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Man, people are going nuts over this text. There's whole documentaries being done about this text right here. Uh, I think it's garbage, but it is what it is. Paul says, uh, abstain from sexual immorality. He says, control your body, walk in holiness, which is another word for what do you think? Sanctification, right? As if you're being set apart because you are. Do not act like the world who do not know God, like the Gentiles. Do not transgress or sin against your brother in this matter of sexual immorality. So Paul, as a good pastor, says the same thing five different ways. That's what pastors tend to do, right? And, and in that, what is he doing? He's, he's not just like doing a sex ed class for the church in Thessalonica. What he's doing is he's speaking directly into the culture of that church, and he's saying, right, more often than not, if we're honest, the, the church and the world tend to look more alike than they should. And so Paul, being a good apostle here, a good church planter, he's writing this letter to them, and he's going to speak directly into what they're dealing with. And what they're dealing with as a church is not different than what many of us are dealing with in this church or outside of this church, which is sexual immorality. And so the word he uses there for sexual immorality is pornea, which is where we get the word what? Pornography, literally, it's literally immoral. It's literally called immorality. <laughs> Just think about that the next time the enemy tries to ignite that desire in you. Pornia in the Greek, though, not limited to pornography. Uh, it's a more of a generic word for sexual immorality. It covers a whole host of different things. If you want to know exactly what it covers, it's anything that does not fall in line in Genesis 1 and 2 in God's biblical narrative. If you don't see it in Genesis 1 and 2, more often than not, it's pornea, okay? Uh, actually, the historians for this time... Uh, they would agree that part, uh, part of the reason as to why Rome fail, failed was because of their sexual exploitation, that they were highly greedy with all of their goods, their resources, with their tables. We're going to read here in a minute, but when it came to sexual exploitation, man, they were super free. They were allowed to do anything that they wanted to do. Actually, literally, everything that happens in Rome that happens now happens in Rome. Nothing new. There's nothing new underneath the sun. And when you think about the Roman Empire, that's, that's pretty daunting because the Roman Empire is one of the greatest empires that has literally ever existed, like in the history of creation. It's where we get uh, civil engineering. It's where we get much of our education, Socratic teachings, it's where we get all the many different infrastructures that come. I mean, they dominated the world. They, Rome created more roads, <laughs> more roads in their existence than America has created ever in the history of America, becoming a country. Rome literally dominated everything, this incredible empire, and yet they fall. 479 AD, they fall. And historians would say part of the reason they fell was because of their incredible amount of greed and their incredible sexual exploitation, sexual immorality. It's interesting. Here's the saying that historians would use, Deputy Pithoda. It says, Rome shed their bed, shared their bed with everyone, but their table with no one. Christians share their table with everyone, but their bed with no one. Take a minute and take that in. Rome's full of greed, not willing to share resources, but willing to do virtually anything sexually. Uh, everything, literally, that we see in our culture now takes place here. This is why Paul can speak to all of it in the New Testament alone. He literally speaks to everything that is happening. What does that mean? What that means? Why is that important? The reason that that's important is because of this. There's nothing actually progressive about our culture. If anything, our culture is really regressive. It's just going back to how it once was. And if we were to look at Rome and say, well, how did that go for Rome? Well, if you want to find out, just go to a museum. Because that's where Rome is now. 
right? Rome, sure, there's a place called Rome, but it's not Rome like it was at one point, like it was at one point in time. And so their, their, their culture there is in need of the gospel to come in and, and penetrate and, and change and to do so through the church. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica knowing if what I'm about to get into now is happening outside of the church, it's more than likely happening inside of the church. Not must has changed. So if you're a note taker, here you go. I just will not be on your screen. Uh, the men during this time would have regularly slept with three different females, okay? First was a wife. Uh, the wife was used more for like relational status, socioeconomic status. They would marry someone that was uh, of the same financial level as them, someone who kind of keep their place in society, their status in society. Uh, secondarily then, they had a girlfriend, if you're taking notes, they had a, a girlfriend. And the girlfriend, from what I can gather, was probably more of like who they wanted to marry, but they couldn't marry because they didn't get them in the right position in society. So instead, the girlfriend was used for intellect and for emotion. So where the wife is more relational and societal, the girlfriend was more intellect and emotion. And then you had the, the final, the third tier here, which is the concubine, which was a sex slave, which is just what that is, a throwaway. That's the way that men treated these women. And so Paul is hitting specifically on sanctification and sex, right? Because what he's saying is this. These men would divvy up their lives and their times, and they would only give so much of themselves to these women. But listen, that's not at all what Jesus has modeled. When it comes to sanctification and the king giving up everything, giving up his kingdom, his son fully coming fully God, fully man to dwell among us, to redeem us, there was nothing partial about that. And yet here in the text and in their culture specifically, Paul is saying, I know what's happening. You're not modeling what God has modeled for you to these women. And so he's saying this is not a holistic approach here. It is not wholly holistic. And there's two things that, that Paul teaches, I think, is totally worth noting. First one is this. Sanctification then redefines marriage. Sanctification 100% redefines Marriage, I mean, just picture with me, right? Instead of men giving up all their attention to three different women, I mean, I'm married to one woman. I have a hard enough time just trying to keep her happy, let alone three different, okay? Imagine these men, they, they stop engaging these three men. They take all that energy, all that passion, all that love, all that romance, all that creativity, because let's be honest, it would take some creativity to juggle all three and not get caught, right? Take all that creativity. You'd have a dynamite marriage, wouldn't you? And so Paul's not saying that marriage shouldn't be relationally stimulating. He's not saying that it shouldn't be emotionally stimulating. He's not saying it shouldn't be sexually stimulating. What he is saying is you don't need three different women to achieve what God has designed for you in the first place. Right? He's not saying it's man and wife and wife and wife or girlfriend and girlfriend and girlfriend. He's saying, no, no, it's not the way God designed it. If you want marriage to be fully sanctifying the way that it was designed, then you look for intellect and relationship and emotion and sexuality all within the one place. All of that energy, all that attention, all of that drive, boom, on one. You pursue one because that's what the gospel models in Christ Jesus for us. This is worth mentioning here. In light of their culture, I'm, I'm wielding like their culture and our culture at the, the same time. Does anybody know what it's called when you have multiple lovers? It's the word infidelity. Yup. <laughs> Preach. Just take the mic. Just take the mic. It's called polyamory. Polyamory. Anybody familiar with that word? These are words you've got to start getting educated on. Okay. Polyamory means to have multiple lovers. What if I were to say um, polygamy? Would you know Polygamy. Poly polygamy meaning multiple spouses. Yeah. What if I were to say pedophilia? 
Would you know what that meant? Okay. Um, I don't know everyone's position here. Let's, let's take your position for same-sex attraction for just a moment and put it on the table over here on the side. I just want you to think about something with me. And I want, I'm saying pin it over here because if I don't, you'll immediately apply a bunch of things and you're going to miss what I'm trying to say. Uh, within the acronym LGBT, and on it goes, there's a P that exists in that acronym called polyamory, which is the celebration of multiple lovers. As a country in June, we celebrate relationships. As a country, not necessarily as a church, not as a church, as a country, uh, we celebrate multiple lovers within relationships in the month of June. Uh, as a country, we, we celebrate because we, Pride Month, okay, we celebrate polygamy because it's one of the acronyms. As a country, we celebrate pedophilia because it is one of the acronyms. So be mindful of how inclusive you want to be and what you're really saying yes to. If these are the exact same things, listen, the exact same things that led Rome to fall, the, great, I mean, the greatest empire to have, why do we think America would be any different? How damning is it, listen to this, how damning is it, okay, for us to champion folks who express themselves through polyamory and polygamy because we do the whole month of June, so we can't say we don't as a nation. How damning is it that if we know that Rome would fall from that, any other normal society would fall if it was just smothered in greed? And Like, how damning is it to look at someone's interpersonal relationship and say, I think that's going to go well for you. You should do that. It's not going to go well for them, church. It's not loving. It's not gracious. There's a reason that God has set this thing up. His economy is perfect. And he looks at the world that he created as the sovereign of the universe and says, Here, here's what's necessary for things to go well. And if you just walk out your sanctification, by and large, things will go pretty well for you. But if you don't, well, just look at Rome. And it's going to crumble around you. That's the first thing. It redefines the way that we think about marriage. The second thing then is this. Sanctification empowers women. Where are my godly women at? You should be like, amen. I know I just came out of a tough subject. That was a hard ride. I get it, okay? But I, don't, I only have so much. I have seven minutes, okay? Just think about those things and think about it. And then think about the empowering of women that comes with this. If you have a whole entire culture, you have a culture where men, this is what men would do in this culture. They would abuse and use these women. How demeaning. How terrible is that? To have sex slaves. These things still happen. <laughs> they 100% still happen. You can swipe right and find a sex slave right now. Easy, Okay? Uh, what's interesting about this, though, is that while people say the Bible is misogynistic and against women and all that, that's not so. Because Paul comes in here, the Apostle Paul who wrote Bible, and he's using the gospel, specifically the doctrine of sanctification, to say, dude, we're actually going to empower our women. We're going to raise them up. You're going to stop taking all that attention, all this direction. Everything's directed on you. What can I get relationally and emotionally and intellectually and uh, in intimately? What can I get? And instead, you're going to say, as a man, hey, you're going to project all that on a one woman. Like, that's the biblical teaching for how to love your wife well, men. Uh, what's interesting about this is that the church wants to try to kind of make this out to be something more than it is or find another way to love people equally. You don't have to do that. You can just read the Bible, right? I, um, I'm going to use this illustration because I, I have it and it'll help me get back to where I need to be at in my notes. Uh, I had this um, feminist for a long time in my missional community. Who, uh, she was great to get to be around for a season. And <laughs> sorry. 
sorry. I was going to say she was great to be around, but then we had a falling out. So uh, here, here's evidence of that. And so we had this conversation, and I was, you know, we hung out for two years. We got along famously for a long time. And, and I said, so what do, you, what do you believe, you know? And she said, well, I'm a Christian feminist. I said, okay, cool. What's that mean? And she said, well, that means, and I, and I quote here, uh, that means that, you know, I believe women deserve the same rights as men. I believe women should be treated the same way as men, uh, and I believe that you should look at women equally as you do men. And I thought, and I said to her, awesome, that's exactly what I believe. Why don't you just call yourself a Christian Christian? <laughs> Which didn't go super well. I'm not saying it wasn't my best moment, but it was a genuine, like, I was like, why don't you just call yourself a Christian Christian? Because what you're saying is the same thing twice, like an ATM machine, right? It's like an automatic teller machine. machine. I was like, you're just saying the same thing twice. Is this exactly what the Imago Dei teaches? There's, there's no need to like spruce it up or hype it up or let it be something else or put some kind of cultural worldly twist on the Bible, right? Because the Imago Dei says all the same things that she said, men and women, 100% equal, bearing the image of God, reflecting the glory of God for all of eternity, amen? Like that's the Imago Dei. That's what we believe, 100%. So there's no need to spruce it up. What's interesting here is that Paul does not come in with some cool, trendy, cultural, worldly thing. Rather, he comes in and he says, dude, look at the cross, like, Jesus didn't give part of himself to you so you could give part of yourself to a significant other. He says, no, the king of kings and the Lord of lords came down, dwelled among you, walked in perfection because you couldn't, went to the cross and died in your place as your substitute as if that were not enough, resurrected to new life, and then sent you his Holy Spirit. That's an all-encompassing, holistic approach to the gospel because it's the gospel. He says, now go do that to those people. Now, if we do that in marriage, if men, heaven forbid, would look at their spouse the same way that Jesus looks at the church, my, 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 what would marriages look like, right? We would empower women to be strong, to be bold, to be courageous. The last thing that Paul teaches us then is sanctification reveals vengeance. The last thing that Paul said was the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, and we solemnly warned you. So uh, Paul is very quick in his exhortation. He hits them quickly, boom, you heard the warning, and then he bumps on. So I think it's right that we do the same thing. Uh, listen, I'll be quick. If you live a life that revolves around you and around you alone, listen, your economy is going to come crashing down. If you walk outside of God's design as a professing Christian, most certainly you're already feeling the weight of some of that economy crashing. You don't have to wait for everything to come completely off the hinges, you know. If you profess to be a Christian and you don't walk in the ways of Christ, vengeance comes in a lot of different ways. For those of you that are not yet in Christ, listen to me, I'll be very clear in saying this, nobody gets a free lunch. Like God cares enough about your sin and my sin as a professing Christian, but your sin as a non professing Christian, that he killed his son for it. Nobody gets a free lunch. The only difference between me and a non-believer is that I believe Jesus took the penalty for my sin. That's it, right? No, nobody gets a free lunch. No one gets to skate out of here free. Jesus dies for sin. For those that are in the room, there are many, let me continue pushing, just the vengeance of God. For those in the room that have looked at relationships, looked at men and women alike and have taken advantage of them emotionally and mentally, physically, spiritually, intimately, God has very, some very choice words for you. Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy 32, 35 says this very clearly. 
out of the mouth of God himself. Vengeance is mine. Like hear the word of the Lord. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For those that are unrepentant, that have abused in those various sorts of ways, listen, if you're not already feeling the weight of it, you will eventually. And if not in this life, most certainly in the next. Vengeance will come for those who have been hurt, for those who have been misused intimately, physically, spiritually, relationally, sexually. And God has an incredible word for you, Romans 12. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Oh, but I want to. Come on. <laughs> but we want to, don't we? Repay no one evil for evil. Are you sure? You know? Listen, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. What's he saying? Walk out your sanctification. If possible, so far as it depends on you. So there might be a clause there to get out of that, okay? If possible, so far as it depends on you. Just kidding. What does he say? Live peaceably with all. What's he saying? Walk out your sanctification, isn't he? He's saying, just walk it out, church. Look, just walk out your sanctification. Well, don't you know what I, don't you know what I think? I have an idea of what you've been through. Yeah. Been through some of it myself. Yeah. Okay. But, but I want to, do you know? All of that will be satisfied. Listen here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Just listen to the, this, this such compassion and yet such Power, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to what? The wrath of God. For it is written, the quote from Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Listen to me, every single bit of hurt that has ever happened in this room, listen to me, every single bit of angst, hurt, pain, all the suffering we just talked about, I need you to know this. Jesus Christ experienced that on the cross. That's the gospel that's what Jeff led us to. That's what I read. He who knew no sin literally became sin, doctrine of expiation. Everything bad that could ever be experienced in all of eternity went into, came into Jesus Christ, and he felt it in that moment. That was and is the very wrath of God. That's the anger of God poured out onto Jesus, all of that sin. Here's what's beautiful about that, and here's how it ties in the sanctification. Because Jesus is the one who has experienced it, every single ounce of justice necessary to redeem us, he's then the one that gets to administer that justice rightfully. He's going to do so, right? He's gonna do so for those that don't have the strength, the energy, the power, the wherewithal to avenge themselves, the Lord will avenge them. For those that don't even know where to begin, they don't know how to function, they're like, they're just all, they just kind of just setting under the weight and the, the depth of all the brokenness that has happened. Jesus has 100% experienced that and will avenge. And for those who are the, not the victim, but the one who's the assailant. Man, the justice of God will come. The beauty of this, though, is this, is that the gospel is sufficient to redeem both, whether we like that or not, right? But the gospel is sufficient to redeem both because Jesus is the one who experiences the justice of God. He's the one that gets to sanctify. Listen, God does not call you to faith, call you out of yourself, bring you into new life, give you identity so that you would do nothing. He didn't positionally save you so you do nothing. He positionally saved you to show how incredibly merciful and gracious he is, and then he pushes you out to progressively walk out your sanctification through good works, through words, through being formed and reformed in here, going out into the culture, multiplying missional communities, planting churches, reading God's word, and on and on and on and on so that we can not end up like Rome, but man, but so that we can be kingdom previews for the people around us. So when they look at us, they think, my God, there must be a God. 
There's something amazing there about them. And it's not us, is it? It's Jesus. Stand with me as we continue through communion and, and offering. If you'd like to give financially during this time for tithes and offerings, praise the Lord, you can do that in this uh, boxes up here. If you'd like to give online, then most certainly you're more than welcome to do that. As we go to the table today, we like to take communion together uh, every week. So we like to celebrate the work that Jesus is doing throughout the week, every week as we gather together. I read to you every time I preach 1 Corinthians chapter 11, okay? Whenever I read it to you today, I want you to pay close attention to the betrayal of Jesus. When you think about intimacy, when you think about relationship, there is nothing more dark, more opposite than what God designed than the betrayal of a relationship, is there? So as I read this, just, let's just cling on to that for just a minute, just a minute. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, over a meal, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you eat it. I'm sorry, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whenever we take communion together as a family, we don't do it as a religious event. We do it as a redemptive event. We see the cup. We never grow weary or tired of that. Right? If you do, you need to spend time praying about that before you take the elements. But you see the bread, which represents Christ's body broken for you. You see the cup, which represents Christ's blood that was spilt for you. And as you take that and ingest it in, listen, it's a sanctifying experience. It's an act of progressive sanctification. It's walking, saying, maybe I don't believe the gospel right now. Maybe it's finding it hard to believe. I'm setting even in this sermon, but, but I'm going to take these elements on faith, that the elements in and of themselves do not do anything to redeem me, to save me, to draw me any near in and of themselves, but they are beautiful doorways and windows into the kingdom of God. And so as you take that, let me invite you to maybe take it for the first time.